0: Hi, I'm Dr. Annaline Weston, Dental Legal Consultant at Dental Protection. Welcome to Risk Bites, a series of podcasts created specifically for dental practitioners in Australia. Risk Bites looks at the key dental legal risks and issues affecting dental practitioners across Australia and provides helpful advice and guidance on how to steer clear of them, leaving you free to provide safe and high quality dental care for your patients. In this edition, we're going to focus on how we liaise with our laboratories and my colleague Dr Simon Parsons is going to tell us some more. So Simon, you've raised this issue of laboratories and it's something that we don't routinely talk about at Dental Protection. Why have you seen this as an important issue to explore?
1: It's my view that the dental laboratory is an often maligned supplier of services to our practices. I've known many a colleague to blame their lab when a job doesn't fit or hasn't arrived by its planned due date, and that's easy to do and may at times actually be quite justified. But ultimately, it doesn't inspire confidence in a patient's eyes to be told that you're unhappy with your lab and it rarely looks like professional behaviour. Your patient will wonder why you have used that laboratory and didn't send their case to a better lab. And they may doubt the quality of the finished appliance once it has been remade, even if all is otherwise well. I must note here that I am a consultant for one of the largest laboratories in Australia and New Zealand, but I don't see this as any conflict of interest. And I hope you don't too, um, as we explore this topic. If anything, I get to see more examples than most of where liaison can break down or be less than optimal between clinicians, their practices and their labs. So I feel I can talk about the topic in an informed manner. I'm also mindful that in the past few years, many practices have purchased milling machines as well as intraoral scanners. While this has resulted in a reduction in the use of laboratory services by some clinicians, it has also raised the issue of why practices want to invest tens or even hundreds of thousands of dollars on equipment if the existing situation isn't broken in some way. I understand the advantages in terms of turnaround time and convenience in scanning and milling one's own crown and bridge work or designing one's own surgical guides and and the like, but I'm also aware that it usually means that there's some room for improvement in how we should interact with all of our suppliers, including our labs, so that we get what we need for our patients and are satisfied on the dimensions of quality, timeliness and cost.
0: What are some of the ways you've seen clinicians liaise with their laboratories that ultimately increases their risk?
1: In my mind, I've seen three main areas where liaison has been highly problematic for clinicians. Let me explain. The first is the delegation by the clinician to the technician of the design and or the choice of materials for the case. It's incredible how often a clinician sends in an impression and then delegates the choice of material for a crown, an implant, or a denture to the laboratory. To me, this suggests that the clinician doesn't know what's best for his or her patient, is disinterested, or perhaps too lazy to decide, or isn't sure if the impression and case are suitable for a particular restorative or clinical outcome. It's unfair, as well as clinically unsound in my view, to rely on a dental technician who has never seen your patient who doesn't know what that patient wants in the finished product, and who has no idea of nuances such as caries risk or periodontal disease to be relied upon to make such decisions. It just leaves too many unknowns in the equation. That's not to say that a good lab can't interpret what you've sent to them and come up with a workable plan. So don't get me wrong. It's just that you're putting a lot of faith in your supplier and you're not often giving them enough information to make that decision for you on your behalf. And if anything does go wrong, you're likely to blame the lab rather than own the problem that you are actually primarily responsible for. I should probably note at this point two issues. I would be concerned that you don't really know what you're doing if you routinely delegate critical clinical decisions to your lab. To me, That's a little like letting your patient decide what antibiotics and or analgesics they want if they have an acute dental infection. And the second is that one's laboratory instructions form part of the clinical record for each patient and need to be kept. If a notification to the dental board ever arises about your care of a patient, you will be asked to supply a copy of the patient's records for review And if I was in this situation, I'd want to know that my laboratory instructions were clear and sound, rather than saying technician to choose material and determine design on a lab sheet. I'm currently aware of a matter where the board has challenged whether a clinician has designed the surgical guide and the overall treatment plan for a failed multiple implant case and have requested the the laboratory communication to understand who did what. Implicit in this is the fact that they want to know whether the laboratory, the implant supplier or the dentist planned the case because it was the plan that they believe was flawed. The second is where decisions are made on price rather than what's best for the patient or what's likely to be best in terms of quality or aesthetics. I'm aware of many situations where dentists choose the most affordable crown material, such as monolithic zirconia, but then expect to get the best possible aesthetic outcome as well. Or they choose the cheapest, ugliest and softest denture teeth when better teeth might just add a few dollars to the overall lab bill but perform so much better for the patient. Now, you and I know that price and quality are not always mutually exclusive, uh, but they certainly can be. As a clinician, you're obliged to act in the best interest of your patient And it would be much better, in my opinion, to pass on an extra $50 in terms of the quote you give your patient initially, and thereby allow room for the choice of a higher grade of dental material, or it could be more aesthetic dental material, um, rather than opt for a cheap option and price only that one into the the quote. So don't get me wrong. I mention zirconia not because I don't like the material, and I, I have to admit I use it often. It's just that you may want to use an alternative material where aesthetics are a higher priority than the, the material's longevity or fracture resistance. And if you do discuss a range of materials with your lab and it's recommended that they use a dearer option for your case, wouldn't it be better to accept that advice and absorb a small increase in lab fees than know that you are not providing your patient with what has been deemed possibly best for them simply to save a few dollars by sticking to your original choice of the cheapest material. Now, it may be also relevant to note here that some materials and some laboratories offer generous warranties against material failure for certain types of appliances and devices, and it would be worth paying a little more for that peace of mind and save yourself down the track from the cost of wearing the cost of a remake if that device was to fail or that crown was to fail. So my take home message here is to seek good value for your patient and also for your practice ahead of simply seeking the cheapest solution in order to maximize your immediate profit. You see, the goal is to have your lab make you look good. When I fit a crown, it looks nice and it fits well, and I don't have to really do any significant adjustment to it. And when I see the reaction of my patient, it seems that they're confident that they've received a good quality job. And I'm confident that they have. Now I'd rather let them have this experience than engender doubt in their mind after spending a lot of time trying to adjust that crown to get it to fit, or for that matter, adjusting a splint for perhaps half an hour to get it to fit. It's not only a waste of my clinical time and potentially damaging to the factory finish on these devices, but it's also really frustrating for you and for your patient and it can undermine the trust that my patient has in my service to them. So if my lab was ever to reject an impression that I send them or make a suggestion for a better material based on the information and the photographs that I've supplied them, then I'd gladly take that feedback on board and redo the impression or run with their recommendation as I'd want to know that the end result would be a good one that's likely to result in the least grief all around and the best possible outcome. I have that trust in my lab and I recommend you cultivate a similar level of trust with your labs that you use. On this note, I see a third area that causes problems and that's the do best possible mentality that unfortunately still exists in some areas. I know some dentists who send poor impressions, bites or rims or other lab work to the labs and then tell the lab to do whatever they can to just make it work. In other words, they're really saying something like, I know this isn't really any good and should be redone, but I can't or I won't do any better. Again, that's not only unfairly placing a burden on the lab to find a solution that might work. It's also implicitly acknowledging that the clinician has done work that's not really up to an acceptable standard. And I believe that leads to a garbage in, garbage out mentality in some cases, and can leave you as the clinician, if you're doing it open to the risk of poor fit, poor aesthetics and suboptimal longevity for the treatment that you'll provide to your patient. It shows a lack of respect for your supplier, and a willingness to give your patients something that is most likely going to be second best, despite your lab's best efforts to make it a top quality job. To me, this is a poor and very risky approach to take to one's dentistry, and it's a recipe for a future complaint, or at the very least, a cohort of dissatisfied patients. Ultimately, I believe it tells your technician that you're not really interested in a high quality outcome for your patients. So what do you think your technician is going to do in terms of striving to deliver the best quality outcome for your other cases? Because I know what I think will happen at that point.
0: Simon, you've been painting a worrying picture of dentistry so far. Do you have some examples of how liaison with a lab can really result in better patient outcomes?
1: Absolutely. Thankfully, it isn't all just bad news. For balance, I want to highlight three examples of where good liaison can lead to far better outcomes all around. The first is by talking through your expectations with your lab so that they know of your default likes and dislikes. Let them know how you like your contact points and occlusion, and do you like thin or bulky castings? Let them in turn tell you what they need from you so that they can deliver your case to meet your expectations first time and hopefully every time. If they ask for bites and photos provide them with them and take their advice on how to take those records so that they help the technician know how to complete your case. Don't assume that labs automatically know what you want because I can guarantee you that what you want from a case will differ from what the clinician down the road might want from exactly the same case, often in the smallest of details. If you leave it to chance, you leave yourself open to actually being disappointed with the outcome and no technician I've met deliberately wants to disappoint their customer. So work together to optimise the outcome of each and every case because ultimately it will be well worth it. The second aspect of liaison is to ensure that you delegate specific aspects of the case to your laboratory where it's actually necessary. Now, that might sound a little bit contradictory to what I said to you earlier, but let me explain. Let's say you need to get a shade taken. Now, by all means, choose the shades for your cases, but also consider that sometimes the lab is going to need to have photographs of any case where the aesthetics are critical. And that will allow the technician to see what the stump shade is and to determine what sort of opacity of material needs to be used to mask that dark stump, for instance. Without that photo or photos, the technician can't possibly know how opaque the material needs to be. Now you may want to send your patient to the lab instead. If that's practical to do so, to have the lab choose the shade And in a similar way, your lab might need to advise you on say the best type of implant abutment in a difficult case where the implant angulation isn't ideal. And that's often actually quite clinically appropriate. So there will be times when delegating some of the decisions to your lab is wise when it allows that joint process to achieve the best outcome for your patient. The third way is to liaise in order to learn. See if you can visit the lab and meet the technicians and see how they do some aspects of the manufacture of the laboratory uh, devices and products. Understand that fabrication process. And if they offer you continuing education, make sure you go, particularly if it's free. And it's my belief that if you do all of those things, you'll ultimately have a much better appreciation of how your lab cases are manufactured what the limitations are to that process, what the technicians rely on in order to get a good result and you'll be far more mindful of what is or isn't technically possible in cases and that's going to lead you to consult more when the situation requires it and at the same time you'll be much less prone to disappointment in the long run and therefore you're much less likely to end up being frustrated with your technician or your technician being frustrated with you. So if you follow these principles, you'll build a constructive partnership based on trust and shared objectives. You'll build rapport with your lab, and it's much more likely that you will succeed with your cases this
0: way. Well, thank you so much, Simon, for that relevant and helpful content, and thank you all for listening. We do hope this podcast was helpful to you, and we look forward to sharing more guidance with you in the future. If you like dental protection podcasts and you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and leave a review.